Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Friday the 23rd of October and today we're going to brief you on the controversy around the New South Wales Premier's secret relationship. I'm a very private person and I didn't feel the relationship had sufficient substance for it to be made public. That story in just a moment. First, Jan France here as we bring you the big news of the day. Well, it is here. They are here. Uh, the two grand finals. It's grand final weekend. Say it like you care. You you hate oh, football, don't you? I'm not going to be watching. That's true. You got me. How <laughs> could you tell? Well, 40,000 NRL fans will be uh, watching it live at ANZ Stadium in Sydney. Uh, they're watching the Storm v the Panthers. That'll be on Sunday. Yes, and the Tigers and the Cats are going to go head-to-head at the Gabba in Brisbane for the AFL's first ever nighttime grand final Tomorrow, there will be 30,000 people in that crowd. Yeah, and it'll be a very different experience in AFL Heartland this year. In Melbourne, police are defending their decision to use drones and helicopters to monitor outdoor gatherings. Here we are, if you like, in our own last quarter. We can see the finish line in sight, and uh, we just need to hold the line in terms of making sure that we don't wind up with this weekend being a major spreader event. I assume that was Victoria's Assistant Police Commissioner Luke Cornelius there using sport puns to describe what's going on. Is Sporting that analogies, and I think it, it probably is the right time for that when you're trying to, I guess, you know, ease the sadness in Melbourne that they don't have their grand final for the first time That's ever. That's right, yeah. yeah. Kind of grim for people in Melbourne, unless their team wins. And because Melbourne are in the NRL as well, um, they could win both championships, which would be pretty cool. Right, and they've got a public holiday today. Yeah. Which I hope... So it's not all bad. It's not all bad. The boss of Australia Post has been forced to stand aside over revelations that high-paid executives were given Cartier watches worth a total of $12,000 to celebrate a banking deal. This is what CEO Christine Holgate said when she was asked to justify spending taxpayer cash that way. I have not used taxpayers' money. We are a commercial organisation. Um, yeah, so Australia Post is technically government-owned. Its only shareholder is the federal government, but it's actually a self-funded business. It turns a profit and uh, it doesn't receive any government or taxpayer funding. Prime Minister Scott Morrison, though, said that he was appalled and disgusted by the news and he intervened pretty quickly. We are the shareholders of Australia Post, Mr Speaker, on behalf of the Australian people. Yeah, so in response to that, uh, Holgate, who's the second highest paid public servant, earning $1.6 million a year, will stand aside during this four-week investigation. Um, it's interesting to note, Jen, that the last chief executive of Australia Post, Ahmed Fahur, got paid $6.8 million in his last year working there, so $5 million more than the current boss who's getting grilled for spending twelve grand. Yeah, I mean, look, I once got kicked out of a Tag Heuer store because I only had $300 to spend and they said, I'm sorry, there's nothing for you here. Get so out. Get out. Literally, they kicked me out. Yeah, so I don't feel like I'm the best person to be giving any kind of analysis on watches, <laughs> given I can't afford any. I'm a big fan of the Swatch watch. <laughs> the first Qantas flight taking Aussies stranded overseas to Darwin will touch down today. 174 people who have been classed as vulnerable by DFAT are on their way from London It's the first of eight flights that are being partially subsidised by the federal government to bring 5,000 people home. Four flights will be from London, the other four will come out of India. Yeah, once in Darwin, they'll be transferred to the Howard Springs quarantine facility for 14 days. There are more than 27,000 people, actually, who are currently overseas and they've registered their desire to want to come back ever since the start of the pandemic, so hopefully they'll be able to. And today, Joe Biden and Donald Trump will face off in the final US presidential debate. 
Yeah, they'll do that in front of a very small Nashville audience. And as we've already told you earlier this week, the mics will be muted at some point in the debate, you know, to try and keep it just a little bit more civil than the first one. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to watch. So when one of them is asked a question, the other one's mic will be turned off for two minutes. So they have two minutes of, you know, being able to talk uninterrupted and then the interruption will kick in. Yeah, and Donald Trump initially said that he wasn't going to do the debate if the mics were muted, but he seems to have come around. Yeah, over the last couple of days, uh, Barack Obama has joined the campaign, trying to whip up some last-minute votes for the former vice president. Here's what he said about Trump. He hasn't shown any interest in doing the work or helping anybody but himself and his friends or treating the presidency like a reality show that he can use to get attention. And by the way, even then, his TV ratings are, are down. So you know that upsets him. <laughs> Kicking where it hurts with That's the ratings. That's yeah, look, he gave a lot of reasons as to why people should vote the president out, including this one. And with Joe and Kamala at the helm, you're not going to have to think about the crazy things they said every day. And that's worth a lot. It just won't be so exhausting. That's actually a pretty good pitch, I reckon. It's like, it's just not going to be so bonkers. Yeah, that's a relatable pitch. You isn't can relax. It? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, so many people are tired. I'm tired. I don't even live there. All right, coming up, we're explaining the Gladys Berejiklian story. Okay, it's time to talk about Gladys. Yeah, and if you're not from New South Wales, you might be like, well, who cares about the New South Wales Premier? But the Gladys Berejiklian secret lover story... It's so shocking that it made national headlines. We begin with bombshell evidence at the New South Wales Corruption Inquiry. The New South Wales Premier has made a bombshell revelation. Well, explosive new details about disgraced MP Daryl Maguire's secret romance with the Premier have been exposed. Now, this scandal blew up last week and it blindsided almost everyone. Yeah, and there's been a huge debate since then about whether she should resign and so far she's toughed it out. But as you're about to hear, it's not over yet. No, so you can just make up your own mind on that one. We're going to brief you today on the Gladys secret relationship scandal and explain what has actually happened here. Yeah, so it started last Monday when she was giving evidence at the Independent Commission Against Corruption, or ICAC, and that was investigating former disgraced Liberal MP Daryl Maguire. Yeah, the Premier was asked about her relationship with Maguire, and here's what she said. Mr. Maguire was a colleague of 15 years. He was someone that I trusted. He was a trusted colleague. Ms. Berejiklian, you should answer the question. I am answering the question. You should answer it directly. Certainly. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you an opportunity. Yes, no answers. Yeah, sure. And that, and, that, and that developed into a close personal relationship. That was a bombshell admission indeed for two reasons. The first being that Daryl Maguire is an MP who she fired in 2018 after an ICAC inquiry forced him to admit that he sought payment to help broker a property deal without disclosing it. Yeah, and the second reason this is a big deal is that she kept the five-year relationship secret from her colleagues and her family and friends and remained in some form of that personal relationship after she fired him in 2018. Yeah, then last month, ICAC revealed that they were investigating Daryl Maguire further. Gladys says that when she found out about this, that was when she finally cut off contact with him. Yeah, so in this recent inquiry last week, uh, Maguire admitted that he's accepted cash deliveries to his parliamentary office relating to a Chinese visa scheme and also admitted to destroying evidence to keep it away from ICAC. Yeah, so the big question here is, 
did Gladys Berejiklian know about Maguire's dealings? Now, she says no. But in one taped phone call, which played out at the inquiry last week, she can be heard cutting Maguire off as he tells her about a property deal. William tells me we've done our deal, so hopefully that's about half of all that gone now. That's good. Mm. I don't need to know about that bit. No, you don't. Yeah. You do not. The other big question, though, is whether or not she breached the ministerial code of conduct by not disclosing an intimate personal relationship. That, though, comes down to how you actually define an intimate personal relationship. Now, she's been arguing that she didn't actually need to disclose the relationship. I'm a very private person and I didn't feel the relationship had sufficient substance for it to be made public. Now, that was early last week, straight after the story blew up. But in the following days, we got to hear the Premier share her side of the story. First, she gave an interview to the Sunday Telegraph, saying that she loved Darren Maguire and thought it could lead to marriage. Then she went on Kyle and Jackie O and also Ben Fordham on 2GB. And this is what she said to Ben Fordham about the relationship. I didn't want to introduce anyone to, to my close network unless I knew it was the real deal and I didn't feel it was at the time. Okay, you say he wasn't your boyfriend but you said you were in love with him. Yeah, but how many times are you in love with lots of people and, and it doesn't end up into something more formal? So um, I certainly was. So on one hand, he was not your boyfriend. On another hand, you were in love with yep. him. You didn't feel it was sufficient enough to bring him into your circle. Can you see that there's a little bit of clarification required about oh, what look, the sure. status of the relationship I guess, was? I guess, look, it was a, um, it was, I think close and personal is, is the best way to describe it. We were friends for a long time. We were close for a long time. But then obviously um, after a certain point, it became more than just um, just what friends friends do. Let's dig a little bit deeper here with Daily Telegraph reporter Linda Silmalis, who has been covering the story. Um, Linda, the opposition is calling on Gladys Berejiklian to resign. They're going pretty hard on her. If she were to resign, what would it actually be for? One of the things that uh, politicians have to abide by is a ministerial code of conduct. Gladys told ICAC that she was in a close personal relationship with Mr Maguire. That's actually a, a legal term and it's important because under the code of conduct, you have to disclose relationships that are intimate. Um, so, you know, if your partner's earning an income anywhere, uh, you know, if you're getting a rental income. Um, so she told ICAC she was in close personal relationship, but in the weekend media, she actually declared that she was actually in love with him and, and one day hoped to marry him. Mm. So um, it's the word intimate. So she, she left that out of her statement to ICAC, but the media interviews she's she's done have actually sort of given an indication that it it was intimate and that's what all this hangs on, whether, whether she should have reported that relationship under this ministerial code of conduct? That's right. The other issue that could get her in trouble is um, whether she actually aided corruption. Now, no one is saying that Ms Berejiklian is corrupt, but by turning a blind eye to her, you know, effectively bad boyfriend's behaviour, did she actually assist with his sort of corrupt activities? I mean, on the question of um, what she knew or, or didn't know, I guess there's, you know, there's a few questions around that, particularly because she can be heard on a phone call saying that she didn't want to know when she was told by Maguire about a particular property deal. Let's have a listen to that audio. Mm. I don't need to know about that bit. No, you don't. ICAC played more than 10 telephone conversations between the two 
And I have to admit, on a lot of them, she does sound distracted and bored, lots of mm-mms. And, and also, you do get the feeling that Daryl was constantly talking about his various wheelings and dealings. Um, but there were two to three exchanges where the Premier specifically used that phrase, you don't need to tell me that bit, mm. you know, I, I don't need to know. You know, she argues that that was just her, you know, he was just rabbiting on and, and to just want to sort of shut him down. But, yes, it can also be interpreted as, you know, I don't I don't want to know anything that could get me in trouble. And Daryl actually said when he took the stand, he seemed to back Miss Berejiklian by saying he shielded her. But he also said that there was this understanding that she also didn't want to know the details of his dealings. And he said he limited the information he gave her because he didn't want to put her in a difficult position. And when I quizzed him on that, Mm. um, he said he knew she would have to act on that. She said that she stuffed up in her personal life. What do you think the people of New South Wales make of that? I think most accept that she did. Um, she, uh, herself has said she's had very little experience in love, in personal relationships. You know, we did a poll on the weekend, a YouGov poll on Sunday, which found, uh, the majority believed she had done nothing wrong. But I do think that there is a portion of people that, that do believe that she knew more. You know, you've also got an ICAC report that's going to come out. So Mm. it will be very interesting to see how they interpret her responses. So that was Linda Silmalas from the Daily Telegraph. Jan, I bet Gladys can't wait for Christmas. There are quite a few ways this could play out over the next couple of months. There is a lot of public support, but there is also the ICAC report coming out in December. Yeah, we'll keep you across the developments. What's the bet? Gladys is hoping for a nice COVID-safe family Christmas, aren't we all? Let's see if she gets it. All right, that is it for the briefing for another exciting week. Another exciting week. We've loved having you. And you know what? We'd love to have more of you. So tell your mates... Tell your mum, tell your friends, tell anyone you know to listen to The Briefing and tell us when you do it. Catch you next week. A Podcast One production.